This podcast is a ministry of Christian Life Center in Berwyn, Illinois. Our goal is to create a real faith for the real world, and we hope this helps you grow. For more information at Christian Life Center, visit us at our website, www.berwynag.org. Thank you. Imagine with me the Apostle John. He's been imprisoned by the Roman Empire. He's beaten, he's broken, he's bruised, and he's been left on a rock to die. He's been left on an island called Padmas. And there on that island, there are no trees to, to help him from the elements. He is just there being beaten by the wind and the rain. And he's broken and he's at the end of his life. He's on this rock and, and he's looking for shelter. So he crawls to a cave. And inside that cave, he cuddles, cuddles hold, close to himself to get warmth. And there, thinking he's going to die, he suddenly taken from that cave, from that damp, cold place into this magnificent vision. And in this trance-like state where he is seeing things, suddenly he starts to see a figure walk towards him. And, and as that figure walks towards him, he begins to seem familiar but completely different. And as that figure walks closer, he sees his eyes, and his eyes are like a raging fire. And his eyes look deep into the soul of John. And he comes closer and John sees his feet are like bronze that has been sitting inside of a furnace. They're glowing red. And the figure is clothed in white with a gold sash around his chest. And the figure has a long double-edged sword that's coming from his mouth. And this terrifying, magnificent creature comes closer to, to John. And as he comes closer, John sees his face, and his face is shining like the sun. And in his hands, he holds stars. And when the figure comes up and begins to speak to John, John falls on his face. Scripture says, as though he was dead. And in that moment, this terrifying, magnificent figure, with fire coming out of his eyes and a sword coming from his mouth, holding stars in his hands, and his feet are like, like, it's like they've been on fire, a face shining like the sun, this terrifying, magnificent figure reaches his hand down on John's shoulder, and he says, don't be afraid. This vision that John gives us of Christ. Just right after this, that figure says, I am the first and the last. I was the one who was dead, but now I am alive. Jesus Christ, this figure who to, to John seems so different, and yet in one moment, he shows us who he, who he is with a hand on his shoulder. See, in the Gospels, we don't see Jesus with a sword coming out of his mouth and fire coming from his eyes. We see Jesus with a hand on a shoulder and comfort. The story makes me think of a name that has been given to God. And, and that name that's given to God is given to him by the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians verse 1. If you can turn there real quick while I talk. 2 Corinthians 1, we're going to start at verse 3. 
He, Paul gives God this name. William Shakespeare said, what's in a name? If a rose was called by any other name, wouldn't it smell as sweet? Good old Bill Shakespeare was wrong. There is something to a name. There's something to a name. Names give power. Names uh, uh, speak purpose, give purpose to something. When Jesus looked at his disciples and when he called Peter rock, he was giving him a purpose. When the disciples were looking at Barnabas and how he lived his life, they called him Barnabas because it meant son of encouragement. They were giving him a purpose to which he would live out his life doing. The names of God are a little bit different because the names of God don't give purpose, they give promise. Every single name of God gives promise. If you go through the names of God that were given in Scripture, we talk about uh, 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 Jehovah Jireh, he is our provider. Jehovah Nisi, the Lord who reigns. Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. Prince of Peace, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. God is love is a name that's given to him. Every one of those names, it's a promise that we hold on to. And when we're going through something, we grab a hold and we call God by that name that's given to him. And we declare that promise when we call him by that name. There is something to a name. The name that Paul gives him is God of all comfort. Let's read 2 Corinthians. Okay. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you for the promises that you give us, Lord God. Every name that you give us, Lord God, I thank you for those promises. God, I pray that we can dig deep into your scripture. I pray that our hearts would be open, that, we would, that our souls would be exposed, Lord God, ready to soak in everything that you have to teach us today. I thank you for that, and we stand on those promises. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. What we're going to do today is we're going to break down this verse that describes God as the God of all comfort. Because a, per, a promise is only good if you understand it. And a promise is only good if you can use it. You can't use it unless you understand it, right? All right. You guys better talk to me today, okay? So we look at the scripture. Paul doesn't first give him the name God of all comfort. He actually gives him a name before that. What's that name? Father of compassion. And before we can understand God as the God of all comfort, we must first understand him as the Father of compassion. We see the heart of the Father, that the heart of compassion of the Father, come through most in Jesus' life on earth, right? Again, we were just talking about John, John or Jesus puts his hand on John's shoulder and says, do not be afraid. That is the Jesus that we know when we read the scriptures. Before he ever says, I'm the first and the last, I'm the one who was living and was dead, you know it's Jesus because of that motion, because of that act. Jesus displayed the Father's compassion. 
Hebrews 4.15, and I'm going to quote this in the, in the King James Version, says, oh, no, no, I'm not. Okay, <laughs> I was going to try and do it. Hebrews 4.15 says that we have not been given a high priest who has not, here's King James, been touched by our infirmities. We have not been given a high priest who has, been, who has not been touched by our infirmities. Key word here is touched. In the Greek, that word is sympatheo, which where we get our word sympathy, right? To break that down even further, though, is, is to two different roots. In Greek, much like any other language, like Spanish or anything, we get words from, from roots. And in those roots, the roots that break up sympatheo is soon, which means with, and, pox, and poxo, which means feeling. So essentially what it's saying is that we have not a high priest who doesn't feel with us. Now this is incredibly powerful because our understanding of sympathy is to feel sorry for someone. But that's not what it's saying Jesus does. That's not how it's describing Jesus' compassion. It's not that, that he is just feeling sorry for us. It's that he is feeling with us. Come on, that's powerful. When you are going through troubles, when you are struggling, when you're in pain, Jesus isn't just saying, oh, shucks, it's too bad they're hurting. He's feeling that. When you're going through financial struggles and you're full of anxiety, Jesus feels that. When you've lost a loved one, Jesus feels your grief and your, and your sorrow. When you are hurting, Jesus feels your pain. We, the most that we can understand this is, is as empathy. But it's even more than empathy. It's not even him putting himself in your shoes. He's feeling it with you. Sympatheo. We see the way that Jesus shows compassion three different stories um, that I want to bring up in the Gospels. The first one's from Mark 3. And you can turn it if you want. If not, I'm going to tell you what happens. In Mark 3, we see Jesus. He's outside the synagogue. And the teachers of the law are waiting for him to make a mistake. They're waiting for him to make a mistake so that they can accuse him. And now the day that it is, it's the Sabbath. And this guy comes up to Jesus, and he has a shriveled hand. And he says, you know, Lord, can you heal me? And these teachers of the law are sitting back and watching to see if Jesus breaks the Sabbath. Because if he breaks the Sabbath, then they can bring charges on him. And they're watching Jesus, and Jesus knows their hearts. The Bible says that he sees their hearts. And then it says he's grieved by their stubborn hearts. This is the first type of way we see Jesus have compassion or feel with us. That word grieve, we're going to break this down a little bit. That word grieve that's used there is uh, uh, the word periclesis. The word periclesis is more, more than feeling grieved in a sense of, of being bothered by what they did. The only other time that that word is used in the New Testament, I'm sorry, this, this is the only time that that's used in the New Testament. So in order to, to understand that, we have to look at outside Greek texts. And we look at outside Greek texts, there's one, according to Wayne Jackson, there's only uh, one time where we see that, and it's in a... Uh, a letter that's written for a man who's, who's uh, giving condolences for someone who lost their brother. So the type of grief that he's talking about is not like a good grief Charlie Brown type of thing. 
It's not like, oh, I'm so grieved by their stubborn hearts. It's a sympathetic grief. Jesus is grieved as though someone has lost something by these people's stubborn hearts. He sees them waiting for him to make a mistake. He sees that they're so shut off to what God is actually wanting to do. He sees that they're so lost. Jesus feels compassion. He feels, feels with us when we are having spiritual ailments. The first way that Jesus feels, for, feels with us is he feels when we are lost. He feels when we're far from God. When, you are, when you're out running from God, or maybe when, you're, when you think you're serving God, but you're completely missing the point, Jesus feels how far you are. He feels the separation that you have uh, that, that, that you have from God. Why? Because Jesus was separated from God when he was on the cross. God had to turn away so that Jesus could be crucified. He feels that separation. He feels that distance from the Father. The same way, and he feels it for you when you're going through that. When you're running from God, he, he feels that pain. He feels that, that lost state that you're in. Second thing, uh, second way that he feels with us is he feels physical ailments. In Mark 1, we see a leper come up to God, or come up to Jesus, and the Bible says that Jesus is moved to compassion for the leper. He's moved to compassion. Jesus sees, sees this man hurting. He sees him a leper. He sees him being an outcast from society, and he's, he's moved to compassion by the man, and he heals him. Last way that, that, that Jesus is, feels with us, the last way that he has sympathy is that he feels our emotional pain. In Luke 7, we see this, this story play out where Jesus, Jesus sees this woman who's marching out with her, at her son's funeral, and they're bringing a, 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 she's bringing her son out, carried, he's already dead, out of the city, and Jesus is walking up to the city. And as he sees this funeral march going, the Bible once again says that he's moved to compassion. And he goes up and he, he, and he brings her son back to life. Jesus feels our spiritual ailments, he shows compassion on our physical ailments, and he shows compassion when we're emotionally sick. Anything you're going through, the reason why this is important is because anything that you're going through, Hebrews 4 says he has not been touched by our infirmities. No matter what it is, no matter what you're going through, whether it's physical pain, whether it's spiritual pain or emotional pain, Jesus feels it with you. He doesn't just feel sorry for you. He feels it with you. When you're crying at night, he feels it. When your marriage is broken, he feels it. When you are lost, he feels it. When your children hate you, he feels it. The reason why this is important is because it means that you're not alone. God is the father of compassion. He created this stuff. He is with you. That's another name of God. God with us. Emmanuel. 
God is with us, and he's with you in your pain. These are important because they reveal not only a heart. These scriptures are important not only because they reveal the heart of compassion, but they, re- they reveal what comes next, which is action. Compassion is, is that, that, that feeling that, that where, you, where, you're, where he's feeling your pain and pain, but that what comes next, that comfort that comes next, is action. The Father's compassion leads to action. Say that with me. The Father's compassion leads to action. It kind of rhymes. You should remember that. It leads to the next name that Paul gives him. The God of all comfort. The God of all comfort. Because God always comforts. Always. There's never a time where you are hurting where the Father is not already moving to comfort. Look at, look at these stories here. In Mark 3, when Jesus sees that these people have the stubborn hearts, when they're far from God, he immediately heals the man. Not just to heal the man. Remember, that's not what's touched him. The Bible doesn't say he was moved to compassion because the guy was sick. He heals this man to prove a point that you are wrong. This is what God wants. It's, what does he say after that? It's better to do a good work. Jesus is moved by his grief, by his sympathetic grief for those people. You're far from God. This is what's right. And he, he, he leads with action. The man who's the leper, Jesus is moved to compassion and heals him immediately. The father of compassion cannot sit back He cannot leave his children struggling. Sometimes we feel like we're left out alone. Sometimes we feel like when we're struggling, when we're hurting, when we're broken, we feel like we're by ourselves. But it's not true. If if our God is the Father of compassion, then his type of compassion is the type that leads immediately to action. We sang a couple songs today. The one song uh, is, is almost directly from Isaiah 43 too. It says, when you go into the waters, you will not be drowned. When you go through the fire, the flames will not consume you. I am your God. I am your strength. I am your Savior. Psalm 46 says that he, that, that he is our refuge and our strength. And he's always ready. To show compassion. He's always ready to give us mercies. Because he comforts like a father. Jesus was the first person to introduce us to the idea of God as our father. You know that in all of the Old Testament, he's never referred to as father. Ever. He was always given a higher name. But Jesus was the first person to come and say, when you pray, pray like this, our Father in heaven. The Lord's prayer was radical teaching. Because it was to these people who knew that they belonged to God, that that he was their God, and that they were his nation. Suddenly, Jesus was saying, that's not just how it is. He's your Father. You're not just tools that he's using. He's your father. 
This is in, it, it, a completely radical teaching that Jesus is bringing. It's incredibly important because God is our Father and God is, is a faraway deity are completely two different things. The, psalm, uh, the, uh, the psalmist in, in Psalm 103 could feel that God was like a father. Psalm 103.13 says that he, he, like a father to his children, shows tender mercies. Other translations say he, is a fa- he like a father, shows, uh, gives to his children tender compassion. Even the psalmist could see it. He didn't know that God was his father, but he, the love that he was receiving from God felt like fatherly love. And Jesus says, he is your father. He comforts like a father. Now, I'm a new father. My son is almost 10 weeks. Almost 10 weeks. And so I don't have the whole thing down. But I do know that when my child is crying... And my child is upset, and I don't mean that like cry that he does like in the middle of the night. Like, and I, I know you're supposed to, you know, I know how to deal with that. I'm talking about that blood-curdling cry, that screaming cry, where I don't care what the, is on the TV. This is, and this is big for me. I don't care what's on the TV. I don't care what kind of food's in front of me. I don't care what's happening. I could be in a dead sleep and I will jump up to go see what's wrong with my son. I will jump up to comfort my son. And you, as parents, you know how that is. You will do whatever it takes to comfort your son, like a father. You'll pick your child up. I'll pick my child up and I, I kind of stomp around or I bounce him or I'll, 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 I'll sing to him or I'll, I'll do whatever it takes. I make myself look like a fool. If you could see inside my window, if you could just take a glance inside my house and watch me trying to comfort my son, it would be hilarious. I do the dumbest things. Sometimes I, I swear he gets quiet when I march. I'm like, I swear he gets quiet. I'll pat his butt. I'll do whatever it takes. I'll look like a fool because my child is crying and I can't help it. I immediately move to action. And that's how, the God, that's how our Father is in heaven. When you are troubled, when you are crying out, God's already trying to help you. He's already moving to comfort. He's already moving to, to, to help you. He's ready to bounce you on his, on his knee or pat you on your back. He's trying to comfort. Now what's important to note here is that doesn't mean your, your, the solution to your problem is immediately given. Because there are many times, as any parent knows, that you are patting your child in the back and he doesn't care. He just keeps crying. Or there are some times where I have to say to him, your mom is getting a bottle. Help is coming on the way. Help is coming. Eventually you're going to get fed. And that's what you want. I know that's what you want. I'm going to bounce you. I'm going to do whatever it takes. But eventually you're going to get fed. So when you are hurting and you feel like God's far away, know that eventually he's coming to give you something. Eventually, he's already moving. He's already heating up the bottle he's got to give you. A lot of my, a lot of my illustrations are going to be uh, parenthood and things like that because that's all I'm doing right now. So, so it's either that or how excited I am for football. So... 
Those are two things. God, <laughs> yeah. God is, he comforts like a father. But his comfort comes in different ways. Regardless of how he comforts, it's always intimate. No matter how he comforts, the way he comforts is always intimate. The word in the Greek used, uh, used when it's talking about um, how he comforts, that word comfort, is literally translated to, co- to call in close, to draw in close. No matter how he comforts you, it's always going to be intimate. God is not a God that puts you off at an arm's distance. That's not how he works. He's never going to say, go over in the corner and deal with it. Never, ever. He's always about drawing you in. The word used for comfort literally means to draw you in. He wants to have you come and sit on Papa's lap. He wants to have you come and stand under his arm. Our God is a father, and and the way that he comforts is to draw you in close. Sometimes he'll speak directly to you. And he could do this in a lot of different ways. He could do it um, you know, through song, or he could do it through the Bible, or, or he could do it through prayer. He could do it through, um, through a lot of different ways. Um, when my wife and I, we, we have a son, Archer. Before, and we had, if you don't know, we adopted Archer. Before we adopted Archer, we had an a adoption go through, or, or go bad. We went all the way up to the day before um, the baby was born. We were in Georgia for the birth. We were ready to go to the hospital. And then she texted us while we were in church and said, at my uncle's church in, in, in Georgia, and said, I'm keeping the baby. And most of you guys know this story. What you didn't know was what was happening at church in that moment. My mom was there, and my aunt and my uncle were there, and they were staring at us. They knew something was wrong, something was up. And we're in, we're in service, and the song that we sang today was what was being led from the pulpit. And they were singing, all your promises are yes and amen. And I had this sick feeling in my stomach. This is about to go bad. And God, and she hadn't texted us yet. The, the, the night before, she texted us that she was dilating. So if anything, we were feeling pretty good. And I had this feeling in my stomach, it's about to go bad. And God, are you trying to tell me that your promises are still good despite how this is about to go? I haven't even felt the pain yet, but you're already trying to comfort me and tell me that your promises are still true. And they're singing, all your promises are yes and amen. And I'm, I'm like, oh God, oh God, this is about to go bad. And Mona was feeling the exact same way. We were not communicating it. She just she knew it was, was bad, and I knew it was bad. Still, hasn't been texted. Then the preacher gets up and starts to preach, and he starts preaching on forgiving those who wrong you. <laughs> and I looked at Mona, and I said, is this for us? And not soon after that, she texted she was keeping the baby. Sometimes God will speak directly through you. Well, you put on a worship song, and suddenly... His comfort's coming to you through, that, through the lyrics of that song. 
or whether you are, are studying in your word and you're just distraught and suddenly you come across that verse, that promise that you say, that's for me. God's trying to comfort me with that verse. Or you're praying and, and if, you're, if, you, if you're not, if you don't believe in the power of the Holy Spirit in, in today's age, then you won't understand this last one. Sometimes you're just praying and you can feel the Holy Spirit just come in the room. And you, you may say, if you're not spiritful, you may say, you're crazy. But I'm telling you, I, you can tell the difference between when you're praying and when God comes in the room. And suddenly the Holy Spirit begins to come around you and wrap his arms around you and comfort you, draw you in close, and you feel surrounded by the presence of God. And in that presence of God, suddenly you start to feel peace. And, you, and you're like, I shouldn't be feeling peace. Right now, I'm, this is an awful situation, but suddenly peace starts to surround you. Or, or he, he surrounds you and suddenly you're filled with joy. And you're laughing and you don't know why. Why am I happy right now? I shouldn't be happy. But God's Holy Spirit is comforting you. He is the comforter. Sometimes he speaks directly to us to comfort us. And other times... He uses other people to speak that, or, or, to, or through their action, to comfort us. I think about in the Bible, I think about, um, on, on Wednesday nights we were talking the last couple of weeks about, um, about Saul's, or Paul's conversion story. And the Bible says that God used Ananias to go and pray for Saul so that he would be healed. God used Ananias to come and bring comfort to Paul. Ananias doesn't say, yes, Lord, I'll go. Paul's still sitting there blind. Although he's probably like a skeleton, because that was like forever ago. God used Ananias. Ananias brought comfort to Paul. We look at like uh, Elisha. Elisha has the widow come to him and say, my husband's dead. What am I going to do? And he says, pour out those vats and I'm going to fill them with oil and they're never going to go empty. And Elisha brings comfort through action, to this widow. When, uh, before I was born, the Tinberg family, actually, even after I was born, uh, we got robbed a lot. I don't, I don't know why. But still, even, even now, we're still getting robbed. <laughs> so, but before I was born, one particular story, um, my, my parents were robbed, our house was robbed, and because of this, we were, uh, they were poor. They didn't have any money to buy presents for Matthew and Leah. That's why they're still a little bit bitter. No, I'm sure. Um, uh, they didn't have any, any money to buy presents for Matthew and Leah. They didn't have any money to decorate. They had nothing, no money to do anything. And just before Christmas, uh, someone broke into our house again, except this time they reversed Grinched us. Someone broke in. To this day, we don't know who it was. They broke into, into our house. They put up a Christmas tree. They decorated for Christmas, and they put presents underneath the tree. And, and my family had a Christmas. That person was bringing the comfort of God. He wasn't bringing presents. He wasn't bringing a tree. He was bringing comfort to a family, who, who, a young family who was starting a church. And the person didn't stick around. They didn't leave a message to say, hey, just so you know, this was me. They didn't get a letter from the church reimbursing or giving tax credit for, for what they were going to write off. To this day, we don't know who it was. And that's okay. 
Because it was coming from God. God brings comfort through other people. Another way that we can look at God's comfort is the way that the Hebrews looked at comfort. The, the, the Hebrew word that's, that we see a lot of times translated as comfort is the word yare. The word yare literally means fear not. It's right there. Fear not. That word is translated comfort. That's the Hebrews' view of it. And the reason why their view of that, and I think this is important here, is because the way that God views comfort is not, it's not just putting his arm around you. It's not just saying everything's going to be okay. It's him trying to reestablish your faith in that broken state. When God says, fear not to his people, fear not, I am with thee and I will bless thee. Fear not. That's God's way of comforting. He's trying to reestablish his promise in your heart. That's the way that God comforts. But the first time I ever went to, you guys, I'm, I'm going to say this, but you guys all know this. Uh, but I don't know if you know this, but my family, go, my guys in my family go on a trip to Canada every year. Okay, you know this. Um, and uh, my first trip, it was pouring down rain the day we were going out. And I was nine years old. I might have been like eight and a half. Um, but like, I'm, I'm going, and, and this trip's rugged for adults. And so as a child, it's, it's pretty rough. And, you know, there's no, the child doesn't carry a pack. I had a big pack on my, on my back at nine years old. And I'm walking through this, this um, portage to get to the other side of the lake. And we named the portage Slippery Rock for obvious reasons. And so I'm walking across the portage. It's pouring down rain. I'm miserable thinking, why do we do this? And, and I slipped and I fell face first in the mud. And my wife wants to laugh. I, go ahead, babe. You can laugh. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm face first in the mud. And I just laid there as a nine-year-old. I laid there in the mud. It's raining down me, feeling sorry for myself. Big old pack on my back, face down in the mud. And I was crying. And my dad came along from behind me, and he picked the pack, grabbed the pack, and he started to lift it up and said, move your legs. And, as, and so I'm kind of in this state where I'm still, you know, I'm still facing the ground, but my dad's pulling the pack up, and my legs are just starting to move. Move your legs. Come on. Move your legs. Move your legs. Can't lay in the middle of the thing. And my, da my dad has a pack on his back as well. And he's lifting my, me up, lifting me up. The more I'm getting up, the more I'm getting confident on my legs. And then I finish the portage. The whole time, my dad is, was, was telling me, Come on, you're going to be okay. I know you fell. You're fine. You're fine. You're going to be okay. Move your legs. Move your legs. That's how God is with us. That's how his fear not is with us. Fear not. I'm with you. It's going to be okay. Come on, move your legs. Come on, get up. Come on, I'm helping you. Come on, get up. Get up. That's God's fear not. That's God's way of comforting. He draws us in close. It's intimate. But his goal is not just to console us. His, his goal is to rebuild our faith. His goal is to get you to stand on his promises again. 
His goal is not to just have you stop crying, but it's to, it's to get off your butt. Get off, get, stop being face down. Get up, come on, move your legs. Fear not, I am with you. He starts to whisper promises. When I pick my baby up and he's crying, I whisper promises to him. You guys do this too when your kids are crying. You say, Daddy's with you. Mommy's with you. It's going to be okay. I got you. I got you. It's okay. It's okay. It's all over. Everything's going to be okay. Daddy's got you. Right? It's fine. It's fine. You need me to blow on it? Okay. You're going to be okay. You scraped your knee? Okay. Oh, I love you. Daddy loves you. Mama loves you. You're whispering promises to your children. When you fall and when you're down, God begins to whisper promises to you. Like a father to his child. He begins to whisper promises. Fear not. I am with you. Fear not. I am your strength. Isaiah 41.10. Fear not. I am with you. I am your God. I am your strength. I am your Savior. He begins to whisper those promises back to you. Come on. Get your feet steady. Come on. Set your feet on my promises. Come on, be still and know that I am God. He begins to whisper those, that to you so that you can get back up and stand. God is the God of all comfort. And if he's the God of all comfort, if that's a promise and we can stand on that promise and that promise is true, then only two things remain to be understood by this scripture. We fully understand God's the Father of compassion, and His compassion leads to comfort, and He comforts us, and we can, we can stand on that. that so, the, the thing, two things left. We have to receive it. Now, this isn't some name and claim it prosperity gospel that I'm about to preach. But you do have to receive the comfort of God. Sometimes we're so distraught, sometimes we're so broken. That our arms are flailing and our legs are kicking and we're crying and we don't want to hear. Again, my kid's crying and flailing his arms and kicking. Sometimes he doesn't know that I'm trying to console him and he's fighting me and he's pushing me away. That's just my kid? <laughs> no. Sometimes we're in such, throwing such a fuss and we're throwing our arms like legs around and we're so distraught that we don't realize that God is trying to comfort us. We have to accept his, com his comfort. We have to be still and know that he is God. The Spirit of the Lord today is saying, stop fighting me. I want to comfort you. I want to draw you in close. I want to whisper promises in your ear. I want to draw you in, child. Please, come close to me. Stop fighting me. Stop swinging your arms and legs around. I want to comfort you. The Spirit of God wants to comfort you today. Second thing, that, the last thing that remains is we have to give. Last part of that scripture says that we have been comforted so that we can give, comfort, give the comfort that we ourselves have received from the Father. You have been comforted by God because He loves you and because He's our Father. 
And also because you are to give that comfort. Remember, God likes to use other people when he's comforting. God wants to use you to comfort. God wants to give you the vision that Christ had. God wants you to come across a man who's sick and be moved to compassion. He wants you to see a mother bearing your son and be moved to compassion. He wants you to see people that are lost and broken and who are so far from God and be moved, grieved with compassion. God wants you to give you the same heart that Jesus had. Compassion that is not just feeling sorry, but that's, it moves to comfort. God wants, you, wants to use you to comfort. But you have to be willing to comfort. You have to be willing to say yes. John, face down, in a cave, Jesus reaches down and says, fear not. Fear not. Do not be afraid. I am the beginning and the end. I am the first and the last. I was the one who was, who, who was once dead, but I am alive. And he wants you to bring that comfort, bring that compassion to the people around you. That means you have to have your eyes and your spirit open to the people around you. That means you can't just walk past people. That means you can't just walk by someone in the church without caring. You have to be like Jesus. You have to be ready to give. Would you close your eyes with me? Thanks for listening to today's message. We hope you were blessed by it. If there's anything that we can do to help you further your relationship with God, we would love to be a part of it. You can contact us through our website, www.berwinag.org. Thank you, and God bless.